What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Sideline Stories. Today, I'm here with Kevin Tarka, founder of the Creation Talent Agency and podcast host. How are you doing today, Kevin? What's happening, Brendan? I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. Can you just start with a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Kevin Tarka. I grew up in, in New Jersey. I uh, went to a public high school here, Montgomery High School, for four years and uh, had the aspirations of playing college basketball. So played played four years. I walked on at Quinnipiac University up in Connecticut. Um, and then after graduating, uh, I've, I've spent uh, the past decade plus in many different uh, aspects of the sports industry. I, uh, I majored in finance and economics at Quinnipiac, which, again, usually makes me sound smarter than I am, but just knew I wanted to stay on the sports side, connected to there somehow. Um, and yeah, I've uh, spent some time at a sports marketing firm and then uh, made the shift over to the um, talent representation side, uh, which led me to uh, down several paths, but eventually creating, pun intended, creation talent agency. Uh, I host a podcast and, and uh, just trying to figure it out one day at a time, like everyone else in this crazy industry. For sure. I appreciate the intro. And I think starting on the representation and sports agency side of things is is kind of where I want to start because I'm sure you get this all the time. You have people reaching out to you. Um, a lot of the kids that reach out to me that are maybe in college or in high school or in grad school, it seems like everybody wants to be a sports agent these days. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about, you know, your personal journey to, you know, becoming the founder of Creation Talent? Did you always want to be an agent or is it something that you know, you said you were working as in the sports kind of marketing industry, and then you shifted over. So can you just talk about how you how all the journey to arriving at creating creation talent agency? Sure, I think it was a handful of different reasons. I mean, in, in college, um, probably similar to a lot of the kids that reach out to you and myself. Um, I just, I thought it was cool. Like it looked cool. Right. I, I watched Jerry Maguire one time and I was like, Oh wow. Being a sports agent would be awesome. There's, there's, there's dope perks. They make a lot of money. They go to games and they hang out with athletes. Right. Um, so I think that was really just like a seed that was planted. Um, mm -hmm. but from a more practical stance, I mean, I, I knew that my skill set, um, my communication skills, my management skills, and obviously, uh, being a college athlete and being around the game, I understood the game and I understood some of the aspects that, you know, my teammates or athletes that were going to the next level, um, you know, needed and, and, and the help that they needed. And then I just wanted to kind of combine that with, uh, you know, with, uh, again, like my kind of my background and my skill set. So um, that's that's really where the seed was planted. Um, you know, I I, uh, I definitely did not. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't start my own company because you know, I had all my shit together or I thought I was the best agent. It was actually quite the opposite, right? I, I, I didn't know anything. Um, and I just didn't get an opportunity at a bigger agency. So, um, my, my, my first, like getting my feet wet was at a smaller agency out in, in Los Angeles, um, where, you know, I got to kind of go through the pre-draft process with some of the guys that they had and, um, and just learn the ropes a little bit. Um, and so, after that process, I kind of took a, a different path and, and I got a, a master's degree in Europe, uh, which, which uh, you know, again, was kind of a break in that. But leading back to after that, for Creation Talent Agency, I, I just didn't get an opportunity at a bigger agency to get paid or, or have a job to do that. So I just jumped off the cliff and hope I, uh, you know, hoped that I had uh, I would get my wings before I hit the ground and just kind of learn that way. So, um, yeah, if, if you ask if you ask 20 different agents. Um, 
I think uh, they'll probably give you 20 different definitions of what an agent is and what they do because the industry now is um, it's changing quickly and there's so many different aspects and parts of the job. For sure. And, and kind of going off that, what are some of the major changes you've seen just in, in your you know span of being an agent in the past five or six years? Well, I, I think, um, I mean, the five or six years, there's a tremendous amount of changes, but even like 10, 15 years ago, um, and over the last five years, like being an agent originally, at least to me, uh, was about negotiating contracts, right. And, and doing all like the, the backend paperwork type stuff. Now, obviously as an agent, uh, you know, it falls under the agent, uh, label to do some of the marketing and sponsorship and, 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 you know, brand partner type of deals, but there's just so more, so much more to it where I think, and I don't know why the the label of an agent versus the label of like a manager never kind of got mixed into the basketball scene like it does in some other sports like soccer mm. or for you know any international listeners football. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's just a lot of change. I mean, obviously, with the amount of leverage that athletes have now with social media, like that that's very different. That's a huge change in 20 years ago when you know, Twitter wasn't around, Instagram wasn't around and the leverage in the audience and the platforms that athletes have didn't exist, right? Because Mm -hmm. that completely flips the leverage. So obviously now with the NIL, which is a whole different, um, you know, uh, topic of conversation, um, but athletes and young athletes are starting to have this audience and followers where they can leverage that, they can leverage those eyeballs into brand deals and into, um, you know, into just more exposure for both, their skill set on the court and off the court. So that I think that's like the major change. But again, as an agent, like in my eyes, it was negotiating a contract where if you're talking about the NBA, you have, uh, you know, the collective bargain agreement that actually has the slated out uh, contracts for, you know, the first 60 picks, right? Um, right. At least between 80 and 120% of that. So anyways, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of aspects to that and a lot of change uh, happening mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. And then g- kind of going off of that, what were your thoughts on the Lamar Jackson um, decision to self-represent and sign, you know, the largest contract in NFL history? Do you think we're going to see a, a trend towards more and more players self-representing over the the few the next few years? And and that maybe kind of goes a little bit back to your point about do our athletes continue? Is there a trend towards athletes continuing to you know retain ownership and? leverage in these in these dynamics yeah i mean i i don't i don't know too too much about the uh details of that deal and 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 maybe there's a i don't know the reasons that he did that um but for sure you're seeing a lot of athletes kind of bring things in-house i think that could be for a couple of reasons like mainly because um you know they they athletes need a team around them that they trust. And maybe sometimes they, you know, something happened in, in, with a previous agent that, that they don't trust them to do that. Um, it could be where uh, athletes are just really interested about contract negotiation or, um, you know, very rarely do I think it's just because, Hey, like I want to keep all the money to myself. I mean, maybe it is, you know um, but, but I think athletes bring everything in house and being able to either themselves, but most likely have a team around them, um, to, to do all that stuff versus outsourcing it. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, um, it's definitely a big change. I, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know what that looks like in the future. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, like I wouldn't have somebody else. I mean, I wouldn't try to do something that I'm not an expert in in another field, right? So if an athlete just says they want to negotiate their own contract because they want to negotiate their own contract, well, you know, have they put in the work to actually understand and educate themselves what that means? I'm sure Lamar Jackson and his crew did, right? But, and I actually have a couple of friends that, 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 that have done that in the basketball, uh, basketball world because they understood the contracts, they understood the markets, they understood the collective bargaining agreement. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, unless, unless you're an expert in that field, um, you know, I would advise at least, at least, uh, you know, leaning on somebody that, that, that is certified to do that. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. And I think it'll be interesting too, to see if um, just how the agency industry evolves over time. I think, you know, I recently did a little bit of research and wrote an article about this and, you know, Kevin Durant's partnership with Rich Kleiman 35 Ventures, like, are we going to see more athletes t like that, that going in-house, like you said, that inner circle, that team of trusted advisors? Um, are we going to see more of that? Naomi Osaka, she started her own agency as well. Um, so I guess these non-traditional agency representation models in sports, I don't know if you have any opinions on that or. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's going to be, I mean, that, that's the new that's the new agency. That's the new agent, right? I think again, when you go back to the business model in the past, um, you know, the commissions and, and and the revenue comes from a percentage of the contract. So if we're talking about, you know, in the past, um, where brand partnerships and equity deals like we see today were not a thing, um, you know, it was okay, a guy makes a million dollars and you get between two to four percent of that in the NBA, at least, depending on you know, what you negotiated. Um, and then the, you know, for the overseas example, um, or anything abroad is typically 10% of the contract. So if, you know, you're over there making a million dollars, we'll just keep it, keep it the same. Then the agent can collect a hundred thousand dollars of that 10%. Now, um, you know, th that, and, and we'll just keep it in the NBA that, that two to 4% of a contract is, is, not as enticing as some of the other options that we see. So you brought up obviously Rich Kleiman and 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 and, uh, and what they have going on there, like brand partnerships, um, you know, equity in 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 new companies and startups. Those can be so much more lucrative and powerful for both the athlete and people that are around them. That you know the whole agents now, like why would somebody waste their time on trying to compete in this crazy business for two to four percent of? Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, you know, a million dollar contract or a couple million, uh, when there's this, this huge sea of opportunity to do all this other, uh, these other projects, right. Involved with that. And that's, again, like, like you said, Rich Kleiman, you have Naomi Osaka, you have, you know, you're starting to see with NIL too. I mean, that's, that's, that's actually a perfect example because there's no contracts. It's everything. All of the, all of the revenue generated is from these other opportunities, leveraging their audience. So, uh, it's right. definitely the, um, it's definitely here and now it's the new, it's the, it's, it's the new model. Mm -hmm. And then before we move on, I just wanted to ask, I'm sure there are way more than just one or two, but I didn't want to just ask you the one. So I'll say like two common misconceptions, either about being a sports agent or just about the sports or agency representation industry in general? What are two misconceptions that, A, like, however you want to take it, like you either A, consistently see it, or like B, the most detrimental misconceptions, but just two that kind of come right off the top of your head? 
Um, I think the first one, and this is at least from uh, the perspective of of being from the states and and you know have, having spent so much time abroad, uh, being an agent and representing a player is not just like I have a relationship with the player. I think they're good at basketball. And now I'm their agent, right? Like that's, that's actually more of a manager because then I've had people reach out to me saying, Hey, like, you know, what do you think of this guy? Like, how, you know, can, can you help me get them a job? Well, isn't that what an agent's supposed to do if you're the agent? Right. And so a common misconception is that it's just, you have a relationship with the athlete and then you can get them the job. Whereas, you know, then I ask, okay, well, wh- who's in your network? Who are you going to call? Do you know the general manager or the director of scouting from all these clubs in this, in the Spanish market? What about in, uh, the Asian markets, you know, how are you going to get on the phone? If you call someone, are they going to answer? Do they know who you are? So a lot of that um, relationship building is kind of forgotten about just because you have a relationship with an athlete, no matter how high level that athlete is. Um, that's the first one. And then, um, you know, I, again, like just to kind of piggyback on that, it's like, it's just, it's it's more than just a contract. It's like, you forget about the, you know, you, 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 and this was me going into it too, right? Watching that Jerry Maguire movie saying, oh, this is going to be really cool. Like I get to sit courtside and like hang out with like my client and like, you know, all the, all the perks, but it's, it's more answering the phone in the middle of the night because your client didn't get through immigration when they go to Denmark, which has happened or, um, you know, the team not paying on time or just some, something that you have to essentially, uh, you know, take care of on the back end that has nothing to do with with being an agent or sports, right? So those little things are, are often what people forget about because we live in a highlight world, right? We see the highlights, mm-hmm. we see the, um, you know, the, the, the sexy parts of jobs or, you know, the most, um, you know, the, the game winning shot, but we don't see all the work that goes behind it. Um, so yeah, I would say those are off the top two, two misconceptions. Thank you uh, for shedding light on that. And I appreciate the, the perspective on, you know, from your own experiences, just some of the, you know, for lack of better words, like non-sexy parts of the job that that are definitely just as much of the job as as the more rewarding ones. Um, kind of shifting gears, you know, you started your own podcast in 2020, um, the Sports Business Secrets podcast. And now you're over 450 episodes in. Um, and I know when we had talked earlier, you you were talking just about, you know, the compounding interest and how you started to see, you know, consistent results, the more consistent you got with it. Can you just talk a little bit about how, what made you want to start the podcast and then kind of one challenge and then one major reward you've kind of experienced in starting it? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I started in October of 2020 and it was kind of during that, during that COVID time where, you know, uh, travel was not as easy and I wasn't traveling as much as I did abroad, um, or even in the States, uh, uh, mind you. So, um, I, I, I just selfishly needed something else to do with my time. Uh, and then it, it was a combination of that and, and just wanting to edu- continue to educate myself. But as I learned in, on this, on this journey that I've been on, I wanted to share that. And I wanted to give back because I thought there was a lot of misconceptions about, you know, there still are about the, the, the agency world and the pro basketball path and journey. And so I just, uh, yeah, a buddy of mine did, uh, did a podcast and, you know, he was like, Hey, you should, you should start your podcast. Um, but the trick is you have to do one episode 365 days in a row. 
And I'm like, okay, that's pretty easy. Like I'm, you know, I'm bored every day now. Right. So, um, I, I dove into it and, and, and I just started just rambling into a microphone, to be honest with you. I, I was like, all right, let me commit to this. I'll do, I'll do 365 episodes in a row. I'm going to share everything that I learned, uh, whether it's, uh, from recruiting to, uh, being a walk-on to college scouting to, um, you know, where you find an agent to how you get certified to what the markets are like overseas. And it really started as just sharing information about the, uh, pro basketball world. And then that kind of shifted as I'm in season three here and, and, you know, approaching 500 episodes, which is pretty crazy. Uh, it just shifted to, to more of just the business of sports. Obviously I talk a lot about basketball. Um, but you know, it's other sports, it's sports tech, it's, it's the, the you know, the trends and the challenges in sports. And, um, yeah, it's been fun. So I, I would say, a you know, a challenge like anything else is just stay consistent, right? It's easy to be, it's very easy to be, um, motivated when, um, you know, when things are going well or when there's nothing else to do. Uh, but it's difficult to wake up and, and record a podcast 365 days in a row. So, you know, I had to rely on discipline for sure on that one. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, uh, and as you can attest, you know, obviously, you know, you have your podcast, so it's not, it's not easy, right? It's, it's, you know, you gotta, you have to schedule the guests. You have to, you know, you have to think about the topic. You have to record it. You have to produce it. You have to edit it maybe and, and then send it out and do the social. Right. And it, it gets tired. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely been rewarding for on, on, on many aspects. I think for me, it's, it's allowed me to find my voice a little bit and get more comfortable speaking because, you know, speaking about anything and publicly is, is never easy for anyone. Um, it's allowed me to become somewhat of an expert in the space because people go to me now to actually consume some of that content um, and learn about that path. Um, and then also for networking. I mean, it's, it's been a great way for me to uh, connect with people in the industry, uh, whether it's directly to a GM that can, you know, I can relay into a relationship for some of my clients or whether it's a, uh, the CEO of a sports tech company uh, and, and sharing their story and then allowing them to educate the audience on their expertise in the sports business world. So it's been, been a fun project. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's been, you know, jump starting it with the one a day for a year. Um, you know, you learn a lot in a year and to be able to stay that consistent and disciplined, um, I think is definitely huge. I wanted to ask you before we kind of start to wrap up, what was your experience like going from growing up in New Jersey to playing division one basketball at Quinnipiac and how did those four years of, you know, being a division one student athlete shape you and kind of help with, you know, life after sport? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, for, for everyone, I think it's a, everyone that wants to play basketball or a sport at the next level, like everyone's dream is to become a division one athlete. Right. And for me, um, if, if you're in the audience, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 510 on a good day and you know 150 pounds soaking wet right not even in high school right so i'm not your typical statute of a of, of a highly rated recruit for that level at least physically um and even skill wise like you know i i i was i was pretty solid in high school but you know i was trending that division three uh path but when i when i saw the campus and you know obviously i had those aspirations of of, of playing at that level um it was a no brainer for me, right? Like I wasn't guaranteed a spot on the team, but that walk on experience and trying out for the team was a challenge and a, and, and, and a risk of not making it that I was willing to take. Um, and, and yeah, those, those four years, I mean, you know, I, I grew so much as a player, obviously, I mean, that going, 
Division one basketball for, for, for people that watch it on TV who haven't been able to be in person with athletes uh, and humans of that physical statute is, I mean, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's, it's very different. I mean, like the level of high school basketball at a public school, um, you know, even, even, um, even in AAU, like being around the top of the top in high school in New Jersey, you know, going to division one is just very different. So I had to obviously level up my game. It took me a while to adjust to that, but just the experience and being around the, um, you know, the ins and outs of a division one program and being around the coaches and the leadership that I had that I was able to learn from building those relationships with my teammates, whether it was in practice and, or, or, um, you know, going on a trip abroad, uh, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience. I, I wouldn't change it for anything. And although, you know, I didn't necessarily get to play as much as I wanted to, right. I tell people all the time, I had seven career points, um, not seven points per game, seven total career points. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it shaped me into who I am today and it, and it, it presented challenges and adversity that, um, I think helped me and will help me for the rest of my life versus, uh, you know, that short period of time of maybe, you know, uh, going to a division three school or somewhere else where I could play. So I, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, and at the end of the day, I, I can relate to that. I played division three sports. I honestly, I played here and there, but wasn't ever a consistent starter. Definitely wasn't an all American, but you know, five, 10 years from now, the wins, the losses, the individual stats kind of just don't become that important. And it's, it's less about, you know, the fact that you score at X or Y amount of points, but it's the experiences you got from it, the relationships you got from it, the lessons you learned about other people, yourself as a player, as a person. So I, I appreciate you shedding light on kind of your experience there. Um, and then 100%. kind of starting to wrap up, you recently have kind of gotten more into the investing side of things. So I just wanted to hear a little bit more about what got you into that um, and kind of your journey as, as an investor and where it stands now. And maybe as much as you can share some of the exciting things that you're looking forward to in years to come. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, um, it's something I don't talk about too, too much because um, first of all, it's new. Second of all, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning as I go. Uh, but third, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm very open about my journey and, and some of the things I talk about in my podcast is, is, uh, is the difficulty of cash flow and sustainability, right? And, and actually not making a lot of money. Uh, and so when you couple that with, oh, like you invest and it's like, well, yeah, there's, there's different ways to invest, right? You don't have to be a millionaire to be an investor. And so that's kind of how I, how I got into it is, you know, when, when my, my network started building and, and, and I just had all of these, uh, relationships and conversations in the sports business world, whether it was directly through basketball contacts or not, things just started to come across my desk where, you know, I'd be talking to a CEO or talking to, you know, a former agent or a former coach who, who, who started a company. And it's like, well, Hey, we're raising money. Like we need capital. And my first response was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like, I wish I had capital. And then I was kind of like, well, look, I, you know, I don't, I don't have capital, much capital right now, but, um, you know, I'd love to be involved and I can also connect you to people that do have that. And that's a way, um, that I learned that you can start sourcing deals and you can, you, you can get involved and be an investor and get equity in companies, um, you know, by sourcing deals and bringing people who have money to the table and connecting the dots. And, and that's kind of, you know, analogous to the agent, um, career is that I'm a connector, right? So I connect athletes with, with, with professional teams. And it's the same thing. I connect people that, 
uh, you know, are looking for a job with a job or student athletes to, to college coaches or people with money to people who need to raise money. Um, and so for me, that was that was great. That was, uh, you know, it's, it's a learning opportunity. I've had the opportunity to be involved with a couple of different uh, companies, whether it's Cerebro Sports, which is, um, you know, a really exciting analytics tool that helps identify players, um, you know, quickly and more objectively through through stats uh, for basketball. And, uh, you know, Mark Cuban was uh, got involved with that after I got in. So that's my my fame to claim is that I'm going to invest with Mark Cuban, although he's never, never, uh, never met me before and has no idea who I am. Um, and then the East Asia Super League is the same thing where, you know, just through relationships of people that, uh, you know, have been in the business and former agent and Matt Buyer and, you know, just when they needed to raise money, you know, I knew people that had money and I was able to, you know, get myself in those conversations um, by just being transparent and being genuine and hustling and then connecting dots. 100%. I feel like that's where your network just becomes invaluable because even if, if, if certain industries like the Asian industry or in the ways people invest and the methods that people use to invest or you know, different intricacies of industries evolve, you know, your network and the value and the strength of that, as long as you have a really strong network, you're like, you're going to kind of figure something out, you're going to be able to like you have connect the dots in some way or somehow with pre existing relationships or establishing new ones. So I think, you know, the strength of your network is kind of a testament to, you know, the consistency and discipline and work you've put in. Um, whether it's on the marketing side, the agency side, the investing side. Um, so I guess, sure. yeah. I was going to say, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and to connect that to before, you know, you, you, there's, there's so many ways to get involved, right? So you have to figure out what, what, where, where you bring value as a, as an athlete, maybe you have a million followers. Uh, okay. Well, there's value there. Maybe that's how you get into some of these deals. Right. So to bring back the rich climb and Kevin Durant thing, if I'm a company raising money and I'm in the, um, uh, you know, if I have a product that my target market is, I don't know, youth kids aged, you know, uh, uh, seven to, to 15 who play basketball. It's like, why would I not want Kevin as the face of my company or involved with it somehow? Sure. He can invest mm -hmm. some money, but you know, I want him, I want to leverage his audience. So that's, that's for Kevin. Right. And that's for pro athletes. For me, uh, it was not money. You know, I don't have a million followers. I don't have capital. Uh, but I have a network and I can connect the dots. So everybody has a way to add value. You just have to find it. Absolutely. And then kind of wrapping up, going back to that point about adding value, expanding your network. What would, what piece of advice would you give to a young person, whether they're in middle school, high school, college, post-college, and, you know, they don't really know how to add value, what part of the sports industry they want to work in. They just love sports and they want to work in sports. What would your advice to them be? Um, that's a great question. I, I could probably go for another 30 minutes about it, but off the top of my head, I think uh, a couple things. One is uh, just, just be yourself, right? Like I think a lot of times, and, and I went through this, it was like, okay, I want to be involved with sports and I need to be I need to know this, or I need to provide that. And at first you're not going to be able to, you might not be able to add value right away, but going into that conversation, being you and saying, Hey, you know, like, th and that's how I approached a lot of agencies when I got out of school. It's like, Hey, look, I, you know, I have this background, you know, I have this passion. I'm not exactly sure where I fit in it. How can I help asking that question? And to take it a step further, 
uh, you know, a lot of people will then reach out, you know, and, and you differentiate yourself by actually having that conversation and offering help. But instead of saying, hey, how can I help you? That almost puts more work on the person you're talking to. And then they have to think about, well, okay, well, how can this person help me? What if you just think of an idea that you believe adds value to them and say, hey, I don't know if this will help you, but how about I connect you to this person? Or I noticed X, Y, and Z in your company. Maybe I can do this, right? So offering something to help. Um, you know, so, so yeah, being yourself and being, being okay with not knowing everything early on is, is definitely one thing. And then also having an open mind because a lot of the sports business world is very interconnected. It's a small world uh, and a lot of roles that have labels uh, really do similar things. For example, anybody that comes to me saying, Hey, I, I want to be an agent. Um, you know, I, first of all, tell them, tell them not to, because it's, uh, you know, it's not, not, not an easy path. Um, obviously with, with, with my story that I tell them. Um, but, uh, but, you know, being a scout, being an agent, being a coach, it's, it's very similar, you know, like you, you, all these labels, uh, are just labels. And so, so have an open mind about, about, you know, what industry you want to get into, but um, don't be boxed into a specific role and don't think that you need to, uh, you know, you need to be the agent because of that label. Uh, and then I, I think, you know, what that makes me think of. And lastly is a lot of people want to do things that maybe um, or, or they're influenced by things that other people want them to be, or other people think they should be. So really, really try to, uh, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and identify what you love and what makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, if you become an agent, because it's super cool, or if you become a coach, because it's super cool to you, to, to your friends and your circle and your family, but you absolutely hate it, or uh, you don't enjoy that process, then it's going to be a really dark time for you. It really is. Uh, you know, so um I think that's the most important thing as corny as cl and, and cliche as it sounds. It's like, yeah, you be happy, right? Like you, our time here is short. So, um, you know, enjoy the process of becoming, you know, whoever you, you think you want to become, but make sure it's you that wants to become that person. Right. Absolutely. No, I think, and that's where, you know, the idea of loving embracing and appreciating the process comes into it. If you hate, every step of the journey to becoming an agent. But then the day that you pass the become a certified agent test, you're probably not going to get that like, it, it's probably going to be a relieving feat to get that, you know, notification or email that you pass the agency test. But you know, if you hated every step of the process, it's probably gonna be a pretty miserable experience for you. Um, so no I, pre I appreciate that insight. Um, and at this time, Kevin, I just wanted to say, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your insights. It's been great to learn more about you. Um, at this time, the floor is yours and anything you want, go for it. And also please let us know where to find you to follow along with your journey. Cool. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I just, now I'm starting to think about more, more advice to give. And, and, you know, I think the last thing I'll say is just, you know, even if you find that path that makes you happy, um, don't forget that you still need to put in the work, right? A lot of people, um, say that they want to be something or say that they want to, uh, you know, uh, go down a certain path, whether it's, Hey, I want to be a pro or I want to be an agent or I want to be a coach or I want to be a scout. I don't care what it is you want to be. Right. But are you willing to put in the work and sacrifice what it takes to get there? That's the real question. And are you willing to do that? Uh, you know, better than the person next to you, because 
it is a competition, right? If, if, if it was easy to be an NBA player, if it was easy to be an agent, if it was easy to be a lawyer, everybody would be that. Everybody would be making millions of dollars. So that's that last thing I want to double down on is make sure that you're ready to put in the work um, that is matched. You know, that work ethic is matched to your dreams. Um, yeah. And no, I, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, you can you can follow me. Um, I mean, the, the easiest is probably my personal stuff. It's just at Kevin Tarka on Instagram. I post a lot of stuff there. You can find Creation Talent Agency links there. Um, obviously the podcast is sports business secrets and, um, uh, you know, I write, I write a lot of blogs. So www.kevintarka.com. I write a lot about all of this. So if you're someone that doesn't like listening, uh, to, to information, you know, I do a lot of writing as well. So, um, you can find me there and, and, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help if I can. Cool. Thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate your time and guys make sure to follow along to his journey with creation talent agency, the podcast the blog, all of it. And we look forward to seeing what you accomplish soon. Thanks, Brennan.